Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Oh Well, guys, um, we took care of business against UNLV. Uh, I, you know, there's not a whole lot of, like, pomp and circumstance, no big fanfare. It's, we did what we needed to do. We did not cover the spread like we all knew we were not going to cover the spread. <laughs> um, you know, kind of going into this game, this this was exactly the game that we expected and to see from, you know, you'll go back and listen to our preview. Everything happened almost exactly the way we predicted. Yeah, well, there's one major outage, and that's that we threw deep a lot. Yeah, no, that was cool. What I I I didn't think we were going to do that, John. You called it. You you said we're gonna we're gonna we need to see Hunter throw in this game. They're gonna let him throw. He threw the ball 25 times, um, and at least four of those passes were thrown for 30 air yards or more. And like two of those were super close to being caught too. And. That's an important thing, and I I guess it's as good a place to start as any with this game because I know there's certainly been some grumbling, right? Because his stat line was so looked so bad in the Stanford game, and then this game, and there's a little bit of a narrative that I think it's really important to just stomp on right now, especially for anybody who watched the second game, which is. There's the idea that like Hunter's skittish, Hunter is is nervous out there, and if you were this is like lies, damn lies, and statistics would certainly support that narrative. If you I, watch, I think the that game, narr- I think that narrative is fair for Stanford. Yeah, right for sure. But I would, but I would say in the terms of like he was spraying passes a little bit and getting through his reads. What he did not do in that game. Nor did he come remotely close to doing in this game is what we would call like the Sam Bradford. Hunter don't check down. Hunter, <laughs> Hunter does not suffer from a lack of confidence. He wants the full meal and he wants to eat all of it. It's not like he's out there discovering, oh, look, I've got a cannon arm and like I can roll out and buy myself time. No, he knows. He knows he's this is a guy who went to camp with all the best quarterbacks in the country to attack of Aloha at all and knows exactly where he stands. And to Scuzz's point, all of those air yards, you've got I mean, I could tick a bunch of them off. You've got the deep swing to J.J. Jefferson that Triple J, who ob- otherwise had a pretty great day, um, dropped just flat dropped and was open in space. You've got the deep ball that that. Triple J barely missed. You've got the deep ball. Kyrick very barely missed. Right? And the interception um, too. Right. There are also two plays that, even though they didn't develop into completions, I am just giddy that we're running it. Which is the back shoulder throws, um, because I think those are going to be there overall, and those will be so necessary against teams that want to play man um, and tight man, like the back shoulder throws. The point is. He was out there being aggressive, and yes, it led to a sub fifty percent completion line. But to both of your points, to say, you know, to Sam's point, he like this was a line that featured 
an absolutely gorgeous touchdown pass, but was inches away from being exponentially larger. Uh, Hunter was throwing good balls, and he was just going for the full meal. He was throwing the double black diamond throws, um, and I take it as a positive because, you know, to, to what Scuzz alluded to earlier, I think it means that we are willing to try everything he's capable of, and we're going to need it. Well, so there's there's been a theme to to the complaints around the Mick McCall offense for 10 years now, right? Since he took over from Garrick McGee in 2009. I believe it was 2009. Um, and that theme is poor play calls in short yardage situations and un, an unwillingness or inability to to throw deep and stretch the field and then turtle shelling at the end of games. Those have kind of been like the three primary complaints of, of around the Mick McCall offense. And at least one of those he did great in this game. <laughs> well, so here so so here's the thing, like one of the questions I've always had, like play calls in short yardage situations, that's on you, Mick. Um and and Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. There was just a boneheaded third and one where we we lined up like three tight ends alongside of our our line had no lead blockers and just telegraphed a, a dive play to Drake that got stuffed in this game and I I circled it on my on my on my sheet and wrote WTF because like given the way that Drake was moving in space when you had pulling centers and everything else like it was just it was just a nonsense call so like okay that's on Mick. The deep passing, like, ultimately it comes back to him because he's also the QB coach, right? But there's a question, John, you, you, are, you t- articulated it right off the top, like the confidence, the moxie, the willingness of these guys to, to throw the deep ball, to go for it. And it's funny because Northwestern, you know, fandom has, has like, embarked on a great Q- QB debate last night with Trevor Simeon starting on Monday Night Football, and, oh, man, Poor Trevor with um, out for the rest of the year with with uh, a torn ligament in his ankle, unfortunately. So um, wishing him a speedy recovery for sure. But, you know, talking about who was the best QB, who, you know, who was the most confident guys who had the most moxie, you have people, you know, and, and certainly which, people... by the way, go back into our archives. We devoted a podcast to this. Once yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, and, the answer, and the answer is clear. And that man's been on this podcast. Well, while you're yeah. going back uh, into the archives, just there's something else that I want you to keep an eye out for. Just you know, planting that seed. Uh, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But but the like Hunter has got a level of confidence and a willingness to 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 attack opposing defenses that. John, you just alluded to. We haven't probably seen since Persa. Um, I think I think Coulter had like that was Coulter's makeup. He did not have the arm to attack in this mode. His mode was you know hard nose running the the Superman dive for the pylon that sort of stuff. But um, you know I, you mentioned the back shoulder throws. That was something that I always thought you know Trevor was best at. He probably had the most arm talent of you know the number of QBs that we've had up until now. And this is. This is like the moxie of of Persa and Coulter. It's it's the arm talent of Trevor plus it's the mobility of somewhere between Coulter and Persa. The Kafka. I think the only question is the decision making, right? Like he threw that bad pick. There's maybe a couple other passes in this game that were ill advised. Um, John, you've talked about how in Stanford he was, you know, if if 
if nothing else, he was almost overconfident in some of his reads, and maybe that's in, you know in part why he tested to Debo as much as he did. Like that's also maybe the hallmark of a young QB who's got a rocket attached to his shoulder. Right, and that's the thing. And you know, we've we've kind of danced around the highlight of the Northwestern season so far, which was the pump and go to Triple J. Um, it's which, the, it's the greatest pass I've ever seen. At Northwestern. I mean, name I, me a better one. I've watched I've watched the replay of that a shameful amount of times, <laughs> and specifically the second camera angle, the NFL Films camera yeah. angle. Just, Watching that missile descend out of the sky. I mean, I it's just the kid's got a god given arm. I mean, it's the it's the real deal. And and to what you said, Scuzz, that pick. I mean, they asked him about it in the post game, and you know he sort of you know gave a, a standard answer. But I mean, he, he just wanted it. He forced it. He thought he had it, and he pushed it. And it's. It's right. He's he's young and he's still getting his reps, but he does not suffer from a lack of confidence and he does not suffer from a lack of talent. Can we, can we talk about scheme? Sure. Because this is a different Northwestern offense. Oh, absolutely. Than we've seen one hundred percent in the last what six years? Mm-hmm. I mean, and we four, talked four years about four years of um, Thorson. You know, was the same, and then yeah, I, it's definitely at least in over the Thorson era and even a few years prior. Well, we, we talked a little bit about like the sprint passes, the rollouts, the run throwing on the run. That was a hallmark of, you know, the, the Bechet and Persa um, years. They, they wanted to do that with Coulter. Certainly they tried to do that on occasion with, with Trev and with uh, Clayton. And it just, it was never that great of a fit. They've busted that out, but we know because we talked to CJ Bechet on this program what three years ago four years ago and we asked him point blank about you know rpos being part of the system and he said they weren't they weren't part of the northwestern offensive system they are part of the offensive system now we have embraced communism my friends (laughs) (laughs) don't don't tell fitz um yeah and it's funny at the minute you said this i i immediately was like this is the beginning of a long journey to the pile of crow that I'm going to have to eat in a second. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, you know, and and again, it's really important to to know exactly what the value of what I'm about to say is. But Drake Anderson is, is the real deal. Scuzz never once sold this kid short and I was guilty of it. Um, And I think it's partially, you know, I'll cop to it. It's partially because, um, you know, we have the obvious connection to his dad being one of the greatest backs Northwestern's ever had. Um, his relative paucity of offers relative to Northwestern, whatever, regardless, uh, this kid's the real deal. And it's important, though, to dovetail with just what Scuzz said. He's the real deal in a spread offense. Yep. Especially against, and this is the real key part, and this was, you know— because, and we're going to get into it even more in a second, this game was so much what we were expecting that for me personally, like I said, I'll own it. The big surprise for me was how good Drake Anderson was. And it's really important, one, to identify exactly what he's good at. His top speed for a scat back could stand to be a little faster, but he's his acceleration is solid and his instincts are straight out of the gene pool. Boy. I mean, j- just dad, just because he doesn't dad, have the uh, the top speed of a Venric Mark. Let's let's you know. Uh, oh, come on. but I mean, 
But, boy, Drake has that DA shake. Um, Drake has just, there are a couple runs where you are like, you have the genes and dad passed down this gift that cannot be taught of knowing how to make guys miss and knowing how to squeeze out extra yards. Drake does not do it by fighting through contact. He's just, he did break a couple tackles in this game, but by and large, it was just by shiftiness, which is great. It's really important everybody understand this is not necessarily the kind of back who will be incredibly useful against a Michigan State or an Iowa or even, you know, potentially a Minnesota. But, and this is a big but, given everything Scuzz just said about the way we are spreading it more than we've spread it in a while and the way a guy like that can fit in this scheme, we have a collection of teams on our schedule. Nebraska, Purdue, Illinois, okay, Indiana. These teams are going to score a bunch of points, and they are vulnerable to being spread out and giving up space. UNLV was a perfect preview for that. Is a guy like Drake Anderson going to be able to do well this coming weekend? Maybe not, um, and maybe not against an Iowa, etc. But in a, against a defense that gives up space and in a scheme that can put him in space, it's absolutely a weapon that I was not expecting that we're going to need. So, Scuzz, yeah, he, he, before, go ahead, um, before the game, you had this amazing tweet that uh, got a lot of traction, you know, kind of, you know, calling back to the last time Northwestern played UNLV and that Damien had the game of his career against UNLV back in 2001. And Drake had a better game against UNLV this time than Damien did back in 01. Well, it wasn't it wasn't the game of Damien's career. Um, he, he, I, my my, I'll be honest. So this was this was this was our wild side tidbit of the week because we've been trying to we've been trying to cultivate you know some sort of interesting factoid to to fire up the, the our friends the wild side uh, each week. You know, just something something unique that maybe people aren't 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 talking about out there. And um, this kind of just came to me as I was I was putting my kids to bed on on Thursday night that, uh, or Friday night that, um, the last time we played UNLV was, was Anderson's senior year. And if you recall, um, Anderson started that year as a Heisman candidate, um, was he had, he had a good game against UNLV. I think he ran for 113 yards, averaged four yards per carry. He came out the next week and put up 190 on Duke. And then, um, but in that Duke game, I think he he got he got hurt in some way, and the defenses were keying on him all season, and it wasn't it wasn't the year we had all hoped for that he had hoped for, right? Because um, you know, people probably don't remember this, like the fact that Anderson decided to come back after after the Big Ten championship of two thousand, that was a big deal. That was a major question mark if he was going to go to the league or not. He he ran for over two thousand yards. He would have been, I think, the top back in college football if not for Ladanian Tomlinson, and. Like, like people re, people forget that. I think people also forget that Damian Anderson had a very healthy career in the NFL, um, especially as a third down back with the Arizona Arizona Cardinals for for a number of years. I mean, he built a life in Arizona around that career, and that's why Drake is from uh, is from Arizona. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, he he settled down there exactly. So, but the 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 thought was, well, gosh, if Bowser is out, you know, 
Drake's going to get more run in this game than, than we would have thought otherwise. Like this will be really interesting to see what he, what he can do. And I, as I started to compose it, I was talking about Kenny Outrush's dad and I was like, well, he may not get the opportunity to run that much, especially if, you know, John Moten or, or Jesse Brown get, get a lot of carry. And obviously Jesse Brown started the game, but even at half when, 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 uh, Drake and, and Jesse had been splitting carries. Drake was averaging like seven yards per carry. And I think he had close to 70, uh, total for the game already. So he was in, he was in great shape. Um, but I, I just like the thing I go back to on the scheme and, and, and it's not just the, the spacing and the spread that you're talking about, John, but we've been using, um, pistol formations with Drake. Uh, and, and we do this thing where, you know, in the past, I think going into last season, we talked a lot about how Northwestern would pull their guards and run outside, and um, you know JB Butler and Tommy Doles would just be steamrolling linebackers and safeties, etc. And that opened up just a ton of space for Bowser as the season went on. Um, that's what they did for JJ in years past. The style of of those running backs, though, is is to go through contact and. The style, like the like the way they've set up Drake, there were so many plays where we'd be pulling, we'd be pulling Jared Thomas and we, we were almost running like counter plays with him off of, off of RPO action, which meant the defense was going in the opposite direction and he would be, you know, matched up one-on-one with an outside linebacker and just dust them to the inside. I mean, that's like incredible. And to, and to the point too, I mean, it's important to remember too, UNLV is, I mean, they had good linebackers, good Mountain West linebackers. Um, their defense is really lousy overall, uh, enabling a lot of these plays and enabling a lot of this space. Especially but the D-line, right? Like, but, our yeah, O-line dominated. that's important because we play a bunch of teams later in the year with crap defenses and that, that it's the track meet wing of the conference that we play. And this matters against that. Those teams are going to score and give up points, and we need to, to get those. It's it's funny. Um, one other thing, you know, parallels to you know helping this the spread thing and what you were talking about, Scuzz, is um, we've got a couple wide receivers who can block. Uh, Skaronic, we talked about last week. Kyrick McGowan had a couple blocks in this game where I was like, hey, little Rashad Lawrence going on there. Um, it's been a little while since, you know, saw, saw a guy who, who wanted to lay people out like that. But, well, I, I, yeah. I mean, well, as, as we were sitting there in the stands, John, we looked down on the sidelines and we saw a guy uh, who <laughs> is going to, when he, when he gets the field, oh my goodness, uh, Genson Hooper Price is a beast. And I'm wondering if they're saving him for maybe this week, maybe Ohio State, like some of the big, big 10 games that we need only play the four games and keep the red shirt. Like you don't, you, you didn't need him for Stanford or UNLV, save him for the big games that he's going to be, a, he's going to be incredible. I don't, I mean, I, again, it's like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert, you know, I don't know the exact figures. I just know that based on what we saw from the stands, Genson Hooper price is roughly seven feet tall. <laughs> That's, I, I can neither confirm or deny the accuracy of those numbers. I just know that, that it's it's roughly seven feet tall. He is one of the most imposing wideouts I've seen just standing on the sideline. But real quick, before we bail on the on the running game um, and shift to some other things, I want to point out one thing, and that's that last year when we played Akron, 
our team collectively, and I'm taking out sack yardage, I'm taking Thorson out of this equation, right? Our team last year ran for ran for 106 yards on 32 carries. That's right around three yards per carry. And so, so point being like, like John, your points well taken that this UNLV D line was pretty easy to push around. Their linebackers were certainly the strength of their team. And, and we were able to do some stuff to them. We're not going to be able to average, you know, these, these type of yards against Michigan state next weekend. But this is a really good sign for the health of our running game and our offense that we were able to take a, a, a lesser opponent to the woodshed unlike we've been able to in the years I mean, past. You, you look at the play calls, it was two to one run to pass. I mean, 100 through 25 times, there were 50 runs. So, which, and and again, it's like, we all had cultivated this worry over the summer that we were going to run too much in this game. Um, it does bear mentioning, though, that I think it's easy in hindsight to look, to go back to the Stanford game and forget that at the start of the second half, this team came out like absolute gangbusters running the ball. And in the next two drives after that, Bowser got hurt and Rashawn Slater got hurt. And then things were discombobulated from that point on. But we were bemoaning mainly pass pro in the first game. This appears to be a team that is very good at run blocking. Now, again, how much that's all going to mean against, you know, the, the NFL run defense we're playing next week. We'll see. We'll get to that in a second. Um, before we talk a little bit about the defensive side of the ball, um, the, I, the one other thing I wanted to mention that I think is cool is there appears to be a competition between Triple J and Kyrick for like, who's the deep threat guy and who gets to eat more there. And I just love that because I have a feeling those two guys have dueling egos right now. JJ got to run the pump and go. Kyrick ran the deep ball earlier that was barely broken up. I mean, that was, the ball was there. That play easily could have gone the other way. That could have been a big completion also. Then there was a play subsequent to that where Kyrick was subbed out and Triple J was brought on. And then they tried the bomb to Triple J on the next play. And I was loving that because I was like, ooh, I like this. I like that the two fast guys are probably mad at each other about who gets the most reps. Um, <laughs> I I just, I like that. I like that there are two burners in our wide receiver core and that they're both hungry and that they're both probably like, you know, having a friendly competition that it's like, all right, which one of us is going to snag more deep balls? Um, so, and as it was, you know, those two guys combined for close to 100 yards receiving. So um, that was pretty great. Well, and it's funny with their emergence, Skoranek has become almost like the third down possession receiver. Um in, in the mold of like a Chris Carter or, or even what Austin Carr was like, we're not, we're not throwing the jump balls to him. And those will probably come back, especially against uh, more talented defensive backs that, that aren't going to get dusted um, necessarily by speed or, or when, when, you know, we have some of those physical matchups and need to need to throw a 50, 50 ball. Um, but that's, yeah, I totally agree, John. It's pretty exciting. And just the, the fact that we deployed them in this way. So, you know, last year you saw um, us hit McGowan for, a really big, uh, I think it was a swing route touchdown or maybe a wheel route. You saw some things like that. We're, we're seeing, we're seeing those guys go deep off the line. And the fact that, you know, it's a pump and go, you know, double move type stuff. Like there's all sorts of potential combinations and options. And it's, it's really exciting when you couple that with the fact that Hunter can move the pocket so effectively and buy time back there. Now you've got an equation 
for a much more potent offense, um, at least the threat, right, to attack downfield. And there's certainly going to be teams, Michigan State's one of them, they're going to stack the box, they're going to dare us to throw deep and beat them that way, but there are going to be teams that won't have that luxury and will be loath to take that risk um, and will allow us to run the ball and chew things up before they, they, they kind of knuckle down and, and, and try to force us into that decision point. So, yeah, this it's super exciting. The other one I want to point out, on the very first drive, there were two passes. Um, the, the, third, the third play of the game, um, I believe is a 20 yarder to Skoranek that, uh, that Hunter just whistled across the middle, like almost like a skinny post type route. And then on the fourth down, oh my God, the balls on fourth down to throw that out pass to McGowan where nobody else was going to even be able to put a hand on it. And, and it was right at the sideline where McGowan got a foot down. But what I want to emphasize is, is those two passes early on in the game that Hunter threw, I think one was 15 yards, one was 20 yards. 99, no, not 90, I'll say 80% of the long passes that have been recorded by Northwestern receivers in, you know, the last couple of years, a third to half of those yards were after the catch. We're chewing right. up chunks of yards through the air. That's, that's a level of, a, of, a, of aggression and like modernized passing attack from Northwestern that we've never seen before. Well, and or at like- least not since Garrick McGee. There's an entire shelf of our schedule of teams, to your point, that are going to be like, here's man defense and stuff boxes. Yep. So, like, what are you, like, are you going over the top? And and to the point, yeah, to even attempt a pump and go like that was was just fantastic. Uh, um, I think we should probably move on to the defensive side of the ball. Um, sure. You know, I, I definitely saw some people bemoaning the fact that UNLV was able to put up uh, rush yards the way they did. Um, but again, you know, if you go back and, and listen to our preview, like <laughs> we told you that that they were going to be able to run the ball, like they have they have speed, uh, big time speed in Charles Williams and Armani Rogers. Like we we said that going in, those guys are fa- like Rogers. Looking at, I mean, dude is six five and runs like a deer. I know we talked about that going in, but like seeing him live and in person, like, oh my goodness, how is a guy that big that fast? And then when Williams uh, hit that corner on this sixty five yard touchdown run, John, you just turned to me and said he's gone. Like he turned the corner and you knew he it was done. Yeah, he was. And again, it's like Sam said it, but I mean. I hope you all at home felt served by our lead-in podcast to this because this is exactly what we mapped out, right? A two-team, a two-player team, okay? That's what this team is. It's a two-player team, and one of the guys is unbelievably fast, and the other's unbelievably fast for a quarterback. And that's and we said this is a team that doesn't have much, but they've got two guys who are really fast, and they'll punish you for for missing tackles and. That's what happened. I mean, poor, again, it's like, we love Greg Newsom, uh, but Greg missed the tackle against Charles Williams, and that guy, well, just, you miss, just, you're missing it, and he's going to the house. Um, well, and well, well, and we got, there was one tackle that we didn't miss, um, maybe miss is the wrong term, but the shoestring tackle by J.R. Pace right. that prevented what would have been an Armani Rogers 99-yard touchdown run. Um saved you know uh, a lot of potential heartburn in the second half and I, I i do think this defense was like on that first run by by williams like 
that was shock and awe. They, 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 you know, the angle that Willock took, like they didn't realize he was going to be that fast. And, and until you see somebody live, like that's hard to figure out. Get well. And, and then they, they, and they came out in the second half, they bottled him up. The D line played so much better. They, they, they shut down the opportunities up the middle. We kept contain on the outside. Like, like we generally slowed them down and gradually, you know, crumpled in, suffocated their offense. And Hey, there's a huge difference. Rogers throwing on the run versus Hunter Johnson throwing on the run, right? Like, <laughs> like, like they, you have to they, put quotes around one of them. Well, yes. they they didn't have the second piece that allows a team to adapt. Like this this is this is a classic, right? Like like how many times have you have you looked at a scoreboard on Saturday and said like, whoa, Northwestern State's up fourteen three on LSU? Well, go back and check that game two hours later, and it's like fifty four to fourteen. This often happens early in games. The De- defense is key in. They figure out what what they're what they're watching for. They they get used to the speed of the different players or the or the or the uh, the play reads, etc. And they knuckle down and slowly suffocate them. And that's exactly what Northwestern did. Right. They asked Gaz in the post game press conference. He was asked, "So, like, what happened with your pass rush in the second half? All of a sudden, you were getting to him." And Gaz's response was like. Because they passed in the second half. That's that was basically <laughs> his deal. Was like he was like we didn't see true five step drops until the second half because that was the first time they have to throw. And it's like we told you going in, UNLV can't throw. Like that's a team that if they actually have to run a catch up offense, that's it. They're just done. And, and John, and their we, line we talked about a little bit um, on Saturday. If it might might have made sense for them to put in the other their backup quarterback who actually could throw the ball a little bit, but we were we were waiting uh, we were waiting mainly because we wanted to pre- prevent a potential homicide on the part of Randall Grimes, <laughs> who I think had one target scuzz, and we were looking down at him, and at one point I feel like Sam was like. Oh, who's number four? And I was like, yeah, that's Grimes. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> and and then, like, he just, the poor guy, like, great. You're like a glorified tight end out there just blocking. But the the other thing, and this is, like, I think the most important thing. I, I, think, I, I thought, just before you move on from that, I thought Newsom yeah. cover, covered Grimes pretty darn well. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he was great. I mean, again, it was like I said, I love Newsom, And he just, he got bit by the thing that we were talking about, where it's like this team has, like, they have an unbelievably slippery, fast guy um, who really has no business being on UNLV. Like, this Charles Williams needs, like, you know, like, this guy has SEC speed, to say the least, Pac-12 speed, but I digress. Um, and the point is, yeah, like, Williams did have a good day overall. And the one thing that I wanted to focus in on, and, and um it matters especially because I know there's been some real hand-wringing coming out of this because of the success they did have running the ball. Well, we mapped it all out for you, and we said this is a team that wants to, to misdirect you, try to put their speed into space, and then make it happen. And there were a couple plays where that really did. And I get how some people would be, like, um, worrying about this and saying, like, oh, well, like, what is that going to mean, you know, given all the rushing attacks we're going to face— not a heck of a lot, okay? There are two teams who run this type of offense, at least so far. I mean, Ohio State can run whatever they want to run, um, but they certainly have this in their tool chest with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins to run that read option look. Great. I mean, like, 
that's that's a problem with facing Ohio State. Right now, there are 50 problems if you're facing Ohio State. More realistically, though, the only other team that runs it is Nebraska. Um, and they are so like UNLV um, in so many ways. And the performance, the, you know, watching UNLV only made that more apparent. But even a team like Purdue, like, they have speed all over the field, but they don't run read option. They don't have a quarterback that runs that kind of offense. <clears throat> it could be that the Illinois dumpster fires progressed to the point by the time we play them later on in the season that they've gone to Isaiah Williams and they're running that similar kind of offense. But beyond that, there's no bearing between this type of approach and the entire rest of our schedule outside of those teams. The UNLV is a soft team that wants to work with speed. The whole Big Ten West is teams that want to run straight at you and put strength on strength, and our whole defense is built to stop that. Our whole defense is giant, super strong guys. Are they vulnerable to misdirection and speed on the outside? Yes, they are. Is that a small price to pay for being a perfect matchup for a ton of the offenses we play every year? Yes. So I could almost see like Hankowitz on the sideline, like he's got this pesky gnat and he keeps trying to slap it away. And I was like, when is he finally going to get out of base here and just be like, all right, enough of this. I have my way. I always like to do things, but I'm sick of this team. And basically... You can look at the tape. In the second half, Chris Bergen was practically a down lineman. That guy was a fifth defensive lineman coming downhill on just about every play. And we were just finally like, all right, enough of this crap. You ain't going to throw. Uh, and that and that was pretty much it. And that was, that was the end of it. And then the offense got a couple points, and UNLV was just done. So don't worry about the fact that they had a back who averaged nine yards a carry in this game. Will that matter against Nebraska and Ohio State? Sure, absolutely it will. Against all the other teams, there's no parallel here. I'd argue there's one other team in the Big Ten that kind of runs a system, and I think it's us. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that that's spot on. And well, you know, Hunter's ability to to run. I mean, I was really impressed. Like he pulled it down, and you know. Dude's got some. Dude's got a little scamper to him. Um, you know, he doesn't have the the speed that <laughs> Armani Rogers does, but yeah, he 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 can get it going. I do like too that all of a sudden, and again, Moten did not play much in this game. Uh, but I mean, we'd all be remiss not to remember John Moten's little moment in the Big Ten championship game. Um, and I would like to say again, in a vacuum. It does feel good that I, I do feel like we've got a level of depth. And again, this is me continuing to eat crow about Drake Anderson. But between Drake Anderson and Jesse Brown, who I don't think any of us saw coming, um, we have a lot of good options at back. Now, Bowser and Jesse Brown are now in the Northwestern Injury Vortex. Uh, if, you know... I, I almost want to see someone in, in a Fitz press conference just be like, so is Jesse Brown alive? <laughs> and then just just try to force a definitive answer out of out of Fitz in some way. Uh, Isaiah Bowser, is he alive? Um, but assuming that these guys are available during the Big Ten season, we have a lot of options. And between Bowser, Brown, and Anderson, and with a side of Moten, th those are some tools that uh, potentially a level of depth I don't feel like we've had in a little while. 
Uh, so I do want to spin it forward um, as we you know talked a little bit about you know this upcoming game against Michigan State. We should probably kind of focus on this. Um, and you know I, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Michigan State Arizona State game. Uh, just the plodding, slow, low-scoring affair that that there was uh, in East Lansing last weekend. Um, obviously, the the end was. Dramatic. You didn't have to add. You didn't have to add last weekend. That pretty much applies to just any <laughs> any game in East Lansing. Um, but yeah, so Michigan State comes in, you know, off that loss to Arizona State with um, you know drama at the end uh, with field goals. As a Bronco fan, I'm still a little uh, a little PTSD on drama at the end with field goals um, after this past Sunday's game. Um, but uh, yeah, so Michigan State comes in, you know, lost Arizona State. They obviously beat up on Western Michigan and uh, uh, took care of Tulsa. But uh, have you seen anything from the Spartans that uh, counterdicts kind of what we thought that they would be coming into the season? Not really. I mean, they were no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they were super inefficient in their first game uh, against Tulsa. They left a lot of points on the board. They hammered Western Michigan, and then man, I don't know. I like this. That Arizona State game was was it's funny everybody's been making the joke like how is it mathematically possible <laughs> that that they only scored seven points? Um, Lewerke threw for two hundred and ninety yards. They they missed I think what three different field goals. Um, they just much like against Tulsa they just they stalled out a lot. They weren't they weren't able to 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 drive uh, to drive down the field once they got you know. Close, you know, within the within the the opposition's forty yard line, and you know, we talked about in our previews of Michigan State. I've been talking about this for years now. Like when they lack that big time wide receiver target, they struggle to to chew up yards and chunk plays, and their offense tends to stall out. And at the same time, they also now maybe they've kind of found something in Elijah Collins, but you know, Connor Haywood has not looked great for a couple games now. Um, he he's he's only got sixty two yards on the season. Uh, he's averaging three yards per carry. Uh, Elijah Collins uh, came in, you know, this last game and ran the ball twenty times, seventy yards, nothing great. He, he put up a, a much bigger number, uh, one ninety-two on seventeen carries against Western Michigan. So, like, he's he's someone to watch out for. Um, but they don't like Michigan State is is this hulking beef of a team without a hulking beef of a receiver and. I, they just seem kind of antiquated in in ways that you know that we've maybe complained about Northwestern in the past. And I, I to me, it's fascinating what we're going to see from Northwestern's offense in this game. But on the other side of the ball, I feel like it's going to be the exact same thing we've seen for three years, which is you know Northwestern does a pretty damn good job of containing this team and is going to hold them to two or three scores. Now, another thing to note is that their left tackle is out for the next six to seven weeks with a leg injury. So. They're going to have to shuffle their own line. I mean, so so first of all, I don't know if either of you guys has it in front of us, but um, there's some disgraceful line attached to this game. Uh, Not, what nine is, and a half points. Okay. It opened at seven and a half. Nine, it, opened, it opened at seven. Nine and a half points. I don't know how it's possible for Northwestern to score a half a point or less in this game. But unless you think that's what's going to happen, that is the dumbest line. Can, can Here, I tell you about the last three times we've played Michigan State? Please do. Yeah. In 2016, 
Northwestern was a six-point underdog. We won 54-40. to 40. In 2017, Northwestern was a two-point underdog. We won 39-31. to 31. Now, granted, that was in triple overtime, but still. Last year, Northwestern was a 10-effing-point underdog. And guess what? We won by 10. We were, we were a half-point away from covering all those all those damn spreads as a favorite even though we were the dog in every game. Like this is this is so, nonsense. So here so that's that's the thing. And and again, Scuzz just alluded to it a second ago when he was talking earlier, but so first of all, it's important to understand to what extent this Western Michigan game was just an outlier, a complete outlier. I mean, we talked about it last week. Lewerke and Collins combined for about 500 yards of offense. And we said at the time, if you think that is in any way indicative of what Michigan State is on offense, wait until the Arizona State game. And that's exactly what happened. Here is, if you want Michigan State summed up in one ridiculous stat, it is this. Let's look at their last six games, the first three of this season and the last three of last season. But from a defensive standpoint, take out the Western Michigan game, okay? They gave up 17 points in that game. That for them is an extreme outlier in a negative way. And this is a game where they otherwise blew the doors off Western Michigan. So let's do Michigan State's defense a service and take that 17-point performance out of the game. Here's how many points... Michigan State gave up in each of their other five games of the last six games. Nine points, ten points, seven points, seven points, ten points. You know what their record is in those five games? Two and three. That is one of the most ludicrous things. Like, are the offensive players even allowed to talk to the defensive players <laughs> at practice during the week? Like, I just feel like like Joe Bashy like it, like just makes like different guys like shine his cleats at the start of different games and stuff. I mean, this is a team that is giving up an absurdly low amount of points per game and losing these games. I mean, what was it we were talking about that they were coming in at one point where they had, like, negative rushing yards, I think, coming into this yeah, game? Yeah, giving they're up giving up the negative year. yards. That's legit. That is 100% legit. Arizona State's stat line in this game, offensively, looks like the stat line of a team that got obliterated. Their quarterback was 15 of 26 for 140 yards. Their top back ran for 38 yards. Uh... They were annihilated offensively, and yet they won this game, and that's because Michigan State can't get out of their way. There's one really important piece, though, and I kind of went back and I looked through the stats on this, um, and it speaks to as good as Michigan State is on defense, and good is selling it so short. This defense is terrifying in their ability to keep you from getting yards. They don't generate a heck of a lot of turnovers. For as, as amazing as this defense is, it's exactly the D'Antonio mold, which, by the way, is kind of our mold, too. D'Antonio's like, our guys are perfect. They sit back there in their 4-3. They will react to what you're doing, and they'll just obliterate you. You're just not going to run. We're going to take it away from you. You'll get nothing. We'll be fine on the pass. We're just going to sit back and our guys are awesome and they're trained perfectly and they'll handle it. They're not an attacking defense. Remember, this is a defense that, aside from Wilkie's, doesn't get sacks. Um, they're just content to sit back there so they don't generate a heck of a lot of turnovers. 
which means their anemic offense doesn't have a lot of situations in the game where it's like, well, thank God we just got the ball at our 20 because now we can go to work. No, no. The other team goes three and out and punts. And then Michigan State punts. And then the other team punts. It's just a lot of that. So this is all a way of saying like, the idea of a 10-point spread in this game is ludicrous. Is it possible that neither of these teams will break 10 points? Sure it is. But the idea that Michigan State is somehow going to get 10 points clear from us, the best defense they've faced all year, I, I don't see it in any possible way. Well, let's talk about something else. And that's the fact that, much like Arizona State last week, who only ran the ball 26 times, in 2018, Northwestern only ran the ball 20 times against Michigan State. And that includes at least at least one sack of Clayton Thorson. However, we threw the ball 47 times for 373 yards, two touchdowns, and an eight yards per attempt clip. Right. Well, like, That's, and like, if you don't, yeah. If you don't think Hunter Johnson scared. can do that, like, I, I, you know, come on now. Um, the, 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 the big, the big, big question mark for me is, the decision-making we talked about earlier. If Hunter tries to force things against Michigan State, I mean, that's what they wait for, right? You talked about how they sit back in their quarter shell. They wait for you to force things and try to, and, and, and make mistakes. If he can avoid doing that, I think he can take this, this team to the woodshed and put up, you know, a solid 24 points or more, and Northwestern wins this thing 24-10, 24-17. Um, the other interesting factor is what our offense will act, actually look like because I don't – I th- Michigan State has talked in the past about, like, you're right, John, they're not an attacking defense that they don't pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. However, they do really emphasize shutting down the other team's running play. And they've talked about in the past that the way they defend is their, their linebackers, at the snap of the ball, step up into the running lanes and then react and go backward to defend the pass. That is different from how many, many other teams do it, including ours. Um, that rubric should be susceptible to RPOs if they're run well. And the effectiveness with, 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 with which Hunter concealed the ball, pulled the ball smoothly, um, the, the speed at which both he and Drake Anderson can get out of the backfield and turn corners and uh, adjust their 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 direction those things should all play in pretty well just to bait the Michigan State defense to continue pursuing the run and then we should just pass the daylights out of them that's what I'm hoping we're going to see one thing that's interesting I talked about after our stand after the Stanford game the superback position is 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 kind of a conundrum for Northwestern this year Against Stanford, we only saw 40% of offensive plays where a superback was lined up close to the line of scrimmage. That's I, I think that's a flip-flop from, from last year. Against UNLV, less than a quarter of the plays did we do what we did most of the time against Stanford, where we had the, the superback split out. Now, that being said, almost all of those plays were in the first half. Once we got into the second half and we got that lead, then we started to go more conservative. We had our, we had our, our super back close to the line of scrimmage. We we're, you know, just running most of the time. I think you're going to see this offense open things up and leave even a little bit more from, from a passing standpoint and from a, like a spread the defense out standpoint. 
than we saw against UNLV. And it's going to be very interesting to me to see how that plays in terms of our uh, the, the, the selection of play calls and what this offense looks like. Just remember, everybody, we are built to play Michigan State. It's like it's so funny just to watch like this rando team like UNLV come in that just is so against the grain of everything that we do and then watch a guy like a Patty Fisher or a Blake Gallagher trying to catch this little gnat in Williams who's like jumping around and everything and being like, oh, this is just not who we are. Elijah Collins is six foot 220 and they're going to throw him into the line. That is what we do. Like, that's just, we'll just like, mmm, delicious. We'll just eat that up and chew it up and swallow it. And Lewerke, you know, I, like, he's going to give the under, if anything, you know, would worry me, Scuzz, I'd say it'd be like Daryl Stewart Jr. turning a, uh underneath play into a bigger play. It's it's, uh, it's Lewerke in the fourth quarter, right, where he starts to scramble and starts to innovate. Like, that's where he's probably best. That's right. That's what worries me, and that's and honestly, like the last three games, that's been a little bit of a concern. Where late he starts to to, to heat up when D'Antonio and company like realize, oh, we're going to lose this game if we don't stop throwing our two hundred thirty pound running back into the line. Right, but it's like it's been a long time, a long time since Michigan State scored more than ten points against a Power Five opponent. Um, and when they did, I, well, it was, well, I guess it depends whether or not you count Rutgers. I think they scored four, (laughs) they scored 14, but I think, you know, that was sandwiched again. This is a team that scored six points against Oregon, six points against the same Ohio state team. We scored a lot of points against last year. Um, they're just anemic on offense against top competition. Like they have yet to write the ship there. Um, it's not like. They've been up and down. No, they're mired in this deep slump offensively that there's a little smoke and mirrors because they played a directional Michigan team and Tulsa. And it's not like Scuzz mentioned earlier, they didn't look great against Tulsa. Um, This is a team that is trying to unscrew itself offensively right now. And that offense is the exact offense our defense is built to to play. Are we going to have trouble potentially if... Things are going wrong in the passing game. Offensively, absolutely we are. In which case, it'll be a punt fest. But if, like Scuzz says, if Hunter comes out, confident boy Hunter, and starts dealing against this team and and putting those passes and hitting those back shoulders and going over the top, then we're going to go to a place that they can't follow. It's just the way that it is. I do want to move on and kind of briefly talk about the, uh, the rest of the Big Ten. Um... Last week, was there any any outcomes that really weren't discussing? I don't know. Penn State struggled with Pitt. Uh, Iowa Iowa State was just weird because of the weather. Maryland, I guess we should probably talk about Maryland briefly. I mean, well, look, look, Vegas. A broken watch is right once a day. Your your correct peg of Temple Vegas doesn't erase your three straight screw ups in the Northwestern Michigan State game. I'm just saying. <laughs> with with that said, we might have been a little off on that game. <laughs> did we did we say we thought Maryland was going to crush? I them? did. I'll I'll, I'll I, own I mean, up to I, that. I, I thought I thought Maryland I, was going to just roll, but 
I to their credit, I mean, I guess I didn't look enough maybe at Temple's performance defensively last year um, because we had Temple only played one game and it was against you know not competition you couldn't gauge anything off of. But man, Maryland just ran into a wall. Uh, Eastern Michigan. I'll, uh... Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Illinois. Uh, I, I, yeah. I believe the comment from you, John, was, come on, Illinois, choke on that creamy frosting. Oh, delicious. Delicious. And then Minnesota definitely tried to choke on their frosting, too. They needed to a last-second touchdown to beat Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, not Georgia State that upset yep. Tennessee at Tennessee. Yeah, that, 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 that one's on me, too. I, I, I missed that one. But, uh, oh. yeah. Minnesota, 3-0, and steamrolling through the non-con. Boy, <laughs> there is, they, are, they are just loaded for bear, let me tell you. Th- there's an, there's a, a argument to be made that you might hear from certain Gopher fans, um, and, and I think it does have a little bit of merit that they're a bit more battle-tested maybe than, than some other squads going into Big Ten play, just that they've they've been down the wire and they've pulled out, they've pulled three games out of their butt. Um that also might mean they're in for a rude awakening. I, I think maybe it's a little bit of, of, of both, but um, but we'll see how they fare. The the other one for me was the uh, the TCU Purdue game, which knowing now that uh, Elijah Sindelar, uh, who I guess took a concussion at the end of the Vanderbilt game, um, and was you know going to be a game day decision going into this game, didn't play Jack Plummer. Any relation to uh, Jake the Snake Plummer? I don't think so, but I don't know that for sure. I think we talked about that in our preview and decided that it, that that he was not related. Um, yeah, because Jake, Jake, I don't think Jake the Snake has any has any kids. Anyway, uh, Jack Plummer played quarterback for Purdue, and that seemed to really take some wind out of out of Purdue's offense, and they got they got pretty well hammered by TCU. So um, that's certainly a situation to watch. Uh, you know what what that team looks like without Sindelar, if 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 that remains to be to be the case. But um, but yeah, I know. And, and, Going back to Maryland Temple, maybe I just heard too many other outlets talking about like, "Whoa, cats! Watch, you know, we'll we'll see we'll see about Maryland after this week." Um, I don't remember what I said on the podcast uh, last week. I, the other game, I guess the other game I'll throw out is the Ohio State Indiana game, which we rightly um, pegged as uh, probably something that would not be close. Um, and who oh boy, Ohio State looks really good. <laughs> yeah, that that's there. They're, they're a juggernaut. That, that's going to be... Can, can, the, yeah. I'm going to say something, and, and maybe it's too soon, but um, given that this is a game, specifically the Indiana game, which Ohio State has, for the last at least three or four years, um, seemingly taken, light and early, taken lightly early on, allowed Indiana to play with them for a half, maybe even three quarters before pushing the pedal down, that did not happen this past Saturday. No. They destroyed Indiana from the from the get go. Um, having watched two Ohio State games now, this Ohio State team appears more disciplined and, dare I say it, better coached than the previous manifestations. Shots fired! Shots fired! Uh, the I mean they absolutely have a case for best team in the country right now alabama would beg to differ but um of all the teams that are in the national title conversation nobody has looked as as on fire um as these guys have although you know like a team like lsu certainly is 
is making a case for themselves as well. But the Ohio State is, is taking all comers right now. And, I mean, it's funny because you've got a list of teams. You know, people will look at, at, a, at a game like P- Penn State-Pitt or the Michigan State game or El Asico, uh, Iowa, Iowa State. One thing that shouldn't be lost in all those is that those teams all have clearly have awesome defenses. And that was an expectation. And it's just there are a bunch of teams in the conference with awesome defenses sorting with awesome defenses sorting out offensive issues we are a member of that group um but ohio state as of right now seems is looking like they've got it all sorted out so yeah they they are terrifying but real quick just back to to purdue boy oh boy um someone's got to get those speed merchants the ball and if it ain't plumber uh purdue season could start going south really quickly they need Cindelar back and fast uh, run through this weekend's Big Ten slate real quick. Um, obviously, I think the headliner is the Michigan-Wisconsin game at uh, 10, 11 a.m. Central. Um, what do you What are you guys thinking about that game? I think Wisconsin's going to roll them. Honestly, like Michigan, there's something something not right about Michigan this year. I'm I'm not feeling it. And like Wisconsin, ha- they they haven't really been tested, but I. To me, I would I would not be surprised to see Michigan just run away with this one. My takeaway with this one would be the over under is forty three, and I would take the under. That to me, I'm just I I don't think again Michigan's defense. Remember how good this defense looked against Army. What again? One of the best option attacks. Service Academy of the past 25, 30 years. And Michigan's not built to stop that offense. They're built to stop this kind of offense. And this happens every flipping year with Wisconsin. Jonathan Taylor's 10,000 yards against directional whoever don't matter when Wisconsin gets into the Big Ten schedule. (laughs) I feel like we've been saying this for like 10 years now. Okay, that should, it's be, that should be a trophy. Ten thousand yards against directional whoever. I mean, I like this happens every year. It's like everyone's gonna be like, Jonathan Taylor only had ninety yards against Michigan. Yeah, because that's what happens with Wisconsin every flipping year in the Big Ten against good run defenses. So don't think that just because Michigan has been a mess offensively. And Wisconsin hasn't, that that's apropos of something. Because I, again, I'm just expecting these two teams to just be stuffing each other at the LOS all day. And then, you know, a low scoring affair gets settled by somebody. I don't know. Um, I guess if you made me pick, I'd pick Wisconsin because they're at home. But again, it's like just because Michigan seems to be less settled on offense, that's not going to mean anything when these two defenses go head to head. So they played last year at Michigan, and the Wolverines... How'd, how'd that go? <laughs> yeah, the Wolverines steamrolled them um, pretty pretty effectively, 38-17. Uh, two years ago, Wisconsin won 24-10 at home. Um, this feels like I, that kind of game. Yeah, it, it does. It, it does feel like a low-scoring affair, and it, it feels like one where... Like, if we don't see... I mean, this is supposed to be the offensive revolution for Michigan, right? Like, they hired Josh Gaddis, a guy that had been, you know, uh, overseeing or partially overseeing what was done at Alabama. Um, 
you know, their offense got revolutionized when they, when they went to Lane Kiffin and it has stayed that way. This, you know, they were supposed to be letting Shea Patterson, let it rip. Um, you know, I, I was listening to the shutdown full cast earlier today and they talked about, and everything they say is tongue in cheek, but they were quite serious about the fact that Michigan's <laughs> they're like, Michigan's got problems on O-line and a quarterback that doesn't seem to be able to, to, to read progressions. Um, and they're like, but we're not saying they're bad. Uh, point being like Shea Patterson just against good defenses. He, he just, he seems to go into a shell and I, 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 even despite Maryland's issues at Temple, it, it still seems like they won the karmic uh, battle of who gets to take, you know, Alabama's karma to their next school between Loxley and Gaddis. So, I mean, unless something changes significantly, and this is, this is, we talked about it two weeks ago. This is, this is case in point. Fourth and what, three or something from the 20 yard line? Fourth and two from the 20 yard line with a handful of minutes left in the game? very very makeable field goal and egos ego maniacal jim harbaugh says no we are going for it um maybe because army went for it so many times early in that game maybe because he's he's a crazy person i don't know but like that's kind of madness and he tries to run it up again uh, run it up the get against an army defense that it's been shutting down his run all day like what is he thinking I, so the one thing I'll say, too, is like Jack Cohn, I mean, again, you can't read anything off of Jack Cohn's performance to this point in the season, but I at least think he's healthy. If Shea Patterson is not healthy and Harbaugh, the same stubbornness leads to Harbaugh just playing Patterson and unhealthy Patterson the whole game, Michigan's definitely going to lose. Uh, we've also got UConn at Indiana. Don't really want to spend too much time talking about that one. Um, Ew. Yeah. Boston College and Rutgers, uh, again, don't want to spend any time Ew. talking about that. Uh, Miami, Ohio at Ohio State. Um, line, 39 and hide, a half. Hide, hide your children, hide your wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Nebraska at Illinois. So the over-under for this one is 63, which would mean one of these teams would win 32-31. Um, that seems about right. In this one, um, the I cert you could certainly talk me into more points being given up in this game. Um, you could talk me into Nebraska winning, let's say forty thirty two or something. Thirteen points seems like a little bit much. Um, lost in the Eastern, <clears throat> the Illinois Eastern Michigan game is the fact that Illinois did score more than thirty points in that game, and scoring points hasn't exactly been their biggest problem this season so far. P- so, Peters has looked pretty decent for them at QB. Yeah, so like, although against you know directional whoever, well, <laughs> and, but in UConn, but directional whoever. I mean, I'm sorry, I know, I know people have like Nebraska gave up eight points against Northern Illinois. Congratulations. Um, did anyone watch the worst play of the season so far? The South Alabama extra point attempt that was subsequently returned for two by Memphis, where the kicker basically like couldn't kick it. Watch it online; it's the saddest play I've ever seen. It was like the kicker, like there's that commercial where the guy talks about the kicker stubbing his toe. This kicker like stubbed his toe trying to kick an extra point, and then like hopped into it. And then the kicker and like the holder both looked at each other like, "Oh, what do we do now?" And they got obliterated, and Memphis ran it back. That team uh, that was trying to kick that extra point almost beat Nebraska. 
So I don't like the idea that uh, like I'm great. Congrats, you beat Northern Illinois. Well done. South Alabama is one of the worst teams in the country, and you almost lost to them. So the idea, I mean, again, there is heaps of defensive ineptitude on both sides of this team, and and Illinois, you know. Can they score points against a bad defense? Sure, that they can do. So, I don't know. I mean, the edge, sure, Nebraska. But this is this the, both of these teams are going to score points. Neither of them are going to be able to stop the other, and someone's going to win. Any big games nationally you guys are looking at? I mean, ob- the, ob- the obvious ones, um, you know, besides Michigan-Wisconsin, is the Notre Dame-Georgia game. Yeah, that's 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 a pretty fun one. Um, feels maybe lopsided. I don't know, uh, but that's you know that's always that's obviously the the really big one. Auburn A and M. I can't see that I'm interested in watching that, but uh, it's going to capture some eyes. I'm pretty interested to see how Stanford um, plays against Oregon. They they looked they, they had another freshman QB throw for 347 yards and four touchdowns against them last week at Central Florida. Um, Feels like a body clocks game, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm going to go out to, uh, to the opposite coast, but um, this, you know, Pac-12 matchup against a, against a, a foe they're very very familiar with, um, and a team I think is pretty darn good in Oregon. Uh, we'll we'll see if they look any better. They should be a bit healthier, but they've also lost both their the, both their tackles who were who were the strength of their offensive line, if you recall. Um, they turned over a lot of their interior o, interior O line, so. Um, their offense is just having a lot of struggles right now uh, to produce points. And for whatever reason, the defense that we saw that I thought looked more physical and, and aggressive and effective has gone completely AWOL the last two weeks. So I, I just, I'm, I'm going to be scoreboard watching Stanford all year just trying to figure out what the heck is going on with that team. I'm, I'm yeah. actually interested in uh, Louisville, Florida State. I would just love to see... Louisville go into Florida State and just knock them down just because, man. I was, boy, I mean, Florida State is a mess. I was reading there was, like, some kid had a lemonade stand to, like, raise money for the buyout. Uh, I'm just saying, I don't know, like, there's, I'm sure a lot of, like, kids who could be selling corn down in Urbana-Champaign with the same kind of initiative. I'm surprised that that hasn't been started yet. But um, but the, the one... Speaking of coaches who are firmly on the hot seat, um, I think there's a there's a a real possibility that Utah goes down to Los Angeles and just takes like takes USC behind the woodshed, and Utah then rolls into the top ten looking to take all comers, and USC is two and two and and in a total mess, and people are like you know, and Clay Helton is officially on like a, he could be fired any day. Um, point. So that's that's probably the other one I'm looking at. Um, you know, John, that's all well and good, but I, I think USC needs an AD in order to to fire Clay Helton, and they are currently without one. So, bit of a mess going on over at, uh, in Southern California. How, house money, baby. He <laughs> can't lose. So here's here's just one other interesting matchup for the weekend. We can we can close on this. Um, fresh off of that emotional incredible win over nebraska colorado um <laughs> drops one your colorado buffalo sammy drop one to air force yeah they, um, they tried they tried to do the same thing they did to nebraska just let them get out to a big lead and try to make a massive comeback and it just came up a little short against air force last week so they play at arizona state this weekend 
and I feel like because college football is what it is, like they're going to roll into Arizona state and, and beat them like convincingly. <laughs> so speaking of college football being what it is, what it is, if you're looking for an upset call, there are two teams that are bitter rivals playing each other at 11 AM on Saturday. One of whom has had absolutely nothing going right in the Tennessee Volunteers, and the other that has had a giant horseshoe up its butt in the Florida Gators. And I could easily see, especially now that Felipe Franks is out for Florida, that Tennessee coming in and quote-unquote shocking everybody um, and pulling out the win in that one. Oh boy, I couldn't disagree yeah, more. Tennessee is hot <laughs> garbage. Hot steaming garbage. Oh, I I don't disagree. Um, but I also think that you know it's one of those things where it's a rivalry. One team's had everything going right; the others had everything going wrong. But but you never know. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlotpirates. Uh, you can email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the South Golf Lot uh, of Ryan Field, which, I might add, really, really lovely tailgating experience down there in the South Golf Lot. So come over, say hi. Uh, we'll be flying the red pirate flag. And remember, Westlot Pirates give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.